If you want to change your life, you have to chase a feeling. And if something does not make you feel the way you want to feel, you will not change shit. Nothing, not one fucking thing will change about your life. If all you do is try to say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm just like doing the thing. And, and I, I followed the rules. Like I said, if you had to follow the map, the map is not the answer. The feeling is the answer. Welcome to Problem Performers, a podcast about professionals who challenge the status quo at work. I'm Rebecca Weaver, and yes, I too have been labeled a problem performer at least once or twice in my career. But looking back, I know where it is a badge of honor. In fact, all the most interesting people I know have earned this label at some point. In reality, these are the people who challenge their workplaces to be better and do better. I think we should all aspire to be problem performers in our work lives, because the only way to make real change is by shaking things up. So let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. My guest today is Katrina Kibben, who is a keynote speaker, non-binary, LGBTQ plus advocate and writing expert. They teach hiring teams how to write inclusive, unbiased job postings that still attract exceptional talent. Katrina is a featured HR and recruiting expert in publications like the New York Times, Chicago Tribune, and Forbes, and has been named a top HR and recruiting expert on numerous best of lists. They've worked with an incredible roster of companies, including NPR, Rust-Oleum, and some of the best pizza makers and cancer researchers on the planet. So I follow Katrina on Twitter, which you absolutely should do, and have also followed their blog for quite a while, which you should also be following. Um, So Katrina, welcome to Problem Performers. Hey, thanks. How's it going? Good, good. Um, So right off the bat, I want to ask you about what you are doing literally right now this moment. You are, I have been following the hashtag... Hashtag van life, cat van life. Is that right? It's van life cat. Van life cat. Check it out. Okay. So tell us what is this about? Yeah. So right now I am living in a van that's been converted into a small home. Uh, It has a sink and a toilet and a bed. And I am traveling the country while I run my business, Three Years Media. So how, uh, how did this come about? Because... As I told you earlier, I think this is this is the thing that people always dream of. They have that like wild and crazy dream, like what would it, you know, what if? And you're actually doing it. <laughs> so yeah. how how did this come about for you? So about seven years ago, I wanted to travel the country and work. And this was, you know, pre-pandemic, obviously. And I couldn't make the numbers work. I wanted to stay in Airbnbs for a month at a time, just pick a big city like New York or San Francisco or somewhere cool and live there for a month. And I simultaneously lost my job, uh, purchased a house, and a lot of things went left when if they had gone right, things would have worked right. But they very much did not work. And I was not willing to take a risk like that. Fast forward eight years and this pandemic happens. And I'm realizing that so many of the dreams that I had were a little more possible now because the rules weren't in place. 
So for years, I told myself things like, well, you can't travel and be a speaker because you need to know where you're going to get on a plane. You can't um, host workshops virtually. People have to see you in real life. And I can go on and on with all of the rules that are officially marked BS on the, uh, the chart now because we learned that we can do almost everything digitally. And between the magic of the van, right? So the van makes it possible for me to stay away from people, avoid them during a pandemic, make food, do important things that I can do away from people, but it also gives me access to places I've never been. And so I met someone who was living in a van. I started doing research. I spent about a year traveling, testing, renting, doing all the things behind the scenes without telling anyone because I thought everyone would say I was crazy, which by the way, they will. And uh, yeah. And as of December, I am officially a hundred percent on the road. That is so amazing. So I originally had reached out to you on Instagram. I think this is where I connect with so many amazing people. Um, but it was, I had read one of your blog posts about the great resignation and you were calling it the great realization. And I feel like this is so deeply connected with where you are with your van life, with what you're doing. Will you talk a little bit about, I mean, I think we both agree that this is not the great resignation. This really is, I've been referring to it as a great Reevaluation, but you're an awesome writer. And so it sounds much better when you say great realization. <laughs> but, but yeah, talk a little bit about that. Like, um, how, like, how has all of that impacted, you know, what, what you're doing now? Yeah. You know, I think it's a collective light bulb that the world has moved a lot faster than the world of recruiting. Yeah. You know, I, I was thinking about this actually while I was driving the other day about how, we say that work has changed. We say that we're upgrading, that we have higher value on people, that we've changed our culture, but we haven't changed a lot of the artifacts that represent the culture of a company. So the job postings are, of course, one of those artifacts. And it's really fascinating to look back 40, 60, 100 years and realize how consistent the job postings still are, despite the world being very different now yeah. than it was a hundred years ago today. Yet we haven't changed the currency of recruiting. We haven't changed the job posting. It's the one thing that everyone has and you really shouldn't be hiring or firing without it. Right. I love the currency of recruiting. It's so good. Um, why, I mean, why are job postings so important? You really are, you're building a business around this expertise. Like, why are they so important? Why should people care? Um, have you ever, and this is going to be a big philosophical question, and yeah. then I'm going to dial it down because I do think that this is about people. It's not really about recruiting at all. So have you ever gone into a year and said, I'm going to have a great year and you set no goals. And then at the end of the year, you were like, was it great? Mm -hmm. did, did it, did it work? Like I, did I do the thing? And we feel this aimlessness. I, I felt it a lot when I started my business, when I felt like I was hitting all these trophy moments, right? Like I hit a revenue number that was kind of a magical number in my head. I hit a lead number. I did all the things, but it didn't feel like a win because it didn't make me feel the way I wanted to feel. Yep. 
if we take this parallel and make it a metaphor for a job posting, when someone reads a job posting, they are imagining a whole new life. Yep. Think about the emotional leap we take before we open up the internet and search for a job. You do not wake up one morning, stretch it out, and you're like, mm, I'm going to quit my job today. Right. I'm going to get me a new one and open up Indeed. That's not how it works. You spend weeks thinking about it. You talk to people about it. You wonder if you should really do it. You spin and spin and spin, and it doesn't feel the way you want it to. And then you go online and you look for a job, and what are you met with? Lies, cliches, and <laughs> bullshit. Yep, yep. Right? And it's not right. It's not right that someone who's willing to take an emotional leap, whether it's starting a business or in this case, leaping into a new career, which both have a immense emotional toll. Either way, we need to respect the moment. We need to give people enough information to make a decision when their heart is in it and their heart is in if they're looking for a job. Yes. Yes. I think people, I think that resonates with people so much more now than maybe it ever did before. We're all spending all this time really reflecting. I think that is what is underneath this huge movement that we are seeing with everyone. And I think um, what you're asking us to do is really us, meaning those of us who are in the position of trying to attract new talent. I work with a lot of small businesses that don't have their own in-house HR. So we're really teaching them, right, the the things that they need to know. And the number one concern that I'm hearing right now, of course, is around talent. Um, how do we attract it? How do we retain it? How do we, you know, how do we keep people? Um, and at HR Uprise, we're really focused on people-centered work, right? People first, policies, um, and and I love how you're really turning this this job posting like into what is our promise or our commitment, right, to an employee who's going to come join us. Yeah, when I train on this topic, I tell people we are writing something that is for people, not about work. Yep. And that pivot alone. I think you instantly see them start to, okay, so one of the questions I'll ask, for example, is what would you tell your best friend about this job? Let's say your best friend's kid wants this gig yep. and you're going to get them in, but you got to like go out and have dinner with them and talk them through it first and tell them all the things about, the, you know, the behind the scenes and your buddy's like, can you please just talk them through it? Like tell them the detail, right? What do you say then? Nine yep. times out of 10, those three sentences are what should actually be the job posting, not all of this ex extraneous BS, right? We yep. need to describe the impact, everyday activities, what they're actually looking for. Those are things you would say to a friend. And yeah. those are things that are often missing from a great job posting. I love that. I love that. When I, what I have found in, in working with our clients is, you know, I used to be the HR person who absolutely hated to do the, um, the employee handbook, right? And I'm like, <clears throat> nobody wants to do it. It is the boring part. What I have discovered, honestly, um, God, this is gonna this is gonna make me sound like an HR person I used to hate. Um, <laughs> but it's absolutely true that like this is an opportunity to communicate to your team what is important to you and how you show what is important to you. And it feels to me like a job to job posting a job description 
which are two different things I recognize. Um, <laughs> but um, that that is an extension of that, right? Like this is an opportunity to communicate what is important to us. Um, and here, here is how we show what is important to us. Yeah. You know, if you think back, I've been spending a lot of time reading those little historical billboards and little notes at all of oh, these yeah. parks and places I've gone to. And I almost think about like the history of storytelling, right? That different tribes, different communities had different ways of telling stories. And if if you wanted to, I bet you could make a parallel between this is the way that a talent team tells the story of this company and job posting can be that powerful if you actually invest in teaching your team how to do it. Yeah. So I mentioned this is sort of off the cuff, but can you talk for just a moment um, for the uninitiated about what is the difference between a job posting and a job description? Yeah. So whenever I draw this on a slide or a board, what you would see is a job description, a job posting, and a job ad. And there's an arrow that goes from left to right from job description to job ad. A job description is a legal document. It is the document you will go back to if you need to fire someone. So you're going to write out the minimum qualifications and whatever your lawyers tell you to put there because you will go back there if and when you need to fire someone. Otherwise, that's the only place it lives is in the filing cabinet until needed. Break in case of emergency, but don't worry too much about it. The next is a job posting and a job posting is what I teach people to write. It's the marketing version of of the job description and it describes the impact, everyday work, and the minimum requirements, as well as including some kind of skill story that helps the person say, yes, this is for me, and yes, I want to do this, or no, this is not for me, no, I do not want to do this. If your job posting does that, you've done good enough. Like, call it good, walk away. A job ad In my world, if you write a great job posting, a job ad is just pulling a sentence from one of From somewhere in the job posting, those 250 words in the job posting, pull some of them, pull them together and put them on an ad. You can put it on Instagram, you put it on the internet, you can put it on Twitter, you can send it to whomever, I don't care. But a job ad is how you get people to the posting so they can apply. Okay, so I named this podcast Problem Performers because I, well, first and foremost, all the most interesting people I know. Uh, have been named problem performer. Um, and because we're really working to flip, you know, these common terms on their heads. Um, I have a feeling that you may be like me, um, someone who has also been named a problem performer. Um, I feel like you might be the quintessential problem performer in all the best ways. Um, does that feel true to you? Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I started three years media because of a conversation about problem performance. So Ooh. I think that's like the ultimate, the ultimate problem performer is got so mad, started company. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Would you tell us a little bit about that? I will. And for years, I wouldn't tell this story because I felt like being a problem performer made people look at you like you're irresponsible or something. Yeah. But I've actually come to believe that people who struggle in traditional environments, it's for different reasons. And typically it's because there's not good infrastructure around leadership. Let me give an example. So I, my background is a little different and I want to give that context because I do think that it informs what happened here. I was a CMO. Then I was a managing editor of a blog. 
Then I was a technical copywriter for Fortune 100s. Then I was a CEO. Okay. So things got a little weird. And I took jobs because I love work. And that sounds weird, but I love to write. I like to do it. And that writing talent helped me become a leader very, very young. I mean, I was a CMO at 27, but I also realized I didn't like it very, very young. C in front of your name usually stands for C, me for problems you don't want to solve. And I'm not that person. Like I'm a copywriter. I like to do work. So I was a technical copywriter for very, very big brands. I 100% know that you have read and seen the work that I have done. And I was working for a very demanding, very detail-oriented manager. At the time, simultaneously, I was taking care of my mom, who was very, very sick. Uh, She had rheumatoid arthritis, and she tore every single tendon in both of her hands at the exact same time. And as people identify as female, I will just say you understand why you need hands and why I needed to be there so her husband didn't have to take on 100% duty. So I moved in with my mom for 13 days. And my mom and I don't really get along. We actually don't speak at this point. So you can imagine what was going on for me when I was working 12 hours a day and then spending 12 hours a night with her, sleeping in 15-minute shifts and adjusting her machines, moving sheets, taking her to the bathroom, every single thing she needed, I did for her while I slept, while I slept, air quotes. Mm -hmm. And on the 10th day of my trip, I made a mistake. I was creating a PowerPoint to present to a global shoemaker and I missed a period on a slide. I missed one punctuation mark. And mind you, I had made a few of those mistakes over the last week and I knew I had because I was tired and I communicated that with my manager. They knew what was going on with me. My manager called me and screamed at me for 45 minutes. They said I had no talent as a writer and I did not belong on their team. Um, that I was not of the of par and a million other things that you should not say to a stranger on the street, let alone someone that you have a relationship with at work or anywhere else. And I cried really, really hard after I hung up. And I remember stomping into my living room and my mom was perched there with both of her hands up on pillows and her feet up. And she's like watching some shitty Real Housewives or something, some. And I say to her, I'm quitting that job and I'm starting a company. And she goes, no, you are not. (laughs) And I said, oh, hell yes, I am. That was a Thursday. I gave notice on Monday. And two weeks later, I stood on stage at SourceCon, thanks to Shannon Pritchett. And I said, my name is Katrina Kibben and today I started the company and you should hire me. And that was almost, that'll be four years ago in February. Oh my God. That is one of the best company origin stories I have heard in a very long time. I mean, I kind of lit shit on fire, but... You did. You did. I love that. I love people who light shit on fire. Um, (laughs) I I think as I'm, you know, as I was listening to your story, so much is coming up for me. I think so many of us have similar experiences. Like all the details are different, right? Like my details were different, but I've I've had a similar, like I am fed up. I've had enough, right? Moments. And 
I've told people like whatever the circumstances, whether you walk out at that moment or whether you come back the next day and give your notice or whether you have to wait till you have something else lined up, because sometimes that's for, that is your situation too. Right. But whatever, whatever the mechanism I have always considered leaving toxic work environments as like the ultimate, it's the ultimate statement of self-respect. Yeah. And I think staying becomes the ultimate abuse and something that takes much longer to recover from than we ever realize. Yeah. I mean, I work with a team of people who tell me daily how traumatizing other work environments have been for them to the point where I have to talk them through not working or realizing that it's okay not to turn on their camera or not to, I mean, people having immune attacks and saying, oh, I just wanted to get through our call. And I'm like, you go to the hospital. You, what? Why? What? And I know only because I have done the exact same thing. I, I literally have been on a call during an emergency where the emergency happened while I was on the call and I waited for a quiet moment to tell them I was leaving. Yeah. <laughs> I know the people on the line can't see me, but I'm sure you can hear the tension in my voice when I explain that like, that is not okay. It is not okay from the depths of my heart. It kind of makes me want to cry to even admit that I lived like that. That I thought work was more important than literally like my physical well-being. Yeah. Like I think there are there are so many times for all of us. I know for me, um, it takes a little while to recognize the abuse for what it is. At least for me, it did. Um, because we're so conditioned to explain it away. And I think more than any other phrase, like, I mean, I've done countless investigations, you know, over the course of my career, both internal and external, um, you know, as an independent investigator and more than anything, the phrase I hear from people is, I thought it was just me. Like I thought, I thought it was just me. I thought I was the only person who was dealing with this, or I thought I was the only person who was, who was interpreting it this way. Right. And, and it is not. It is almost certainly not just you. I think that's part of that great realization, right? Yeah. We told ourselves for many years that we were the only ones, that we were taking it wrong, that we needed this to survive. And all of a sudden, the market flipped, the tables turned, and the job market is a wide open field. You want to go? Run. You want more money? Go get it. You want better hours? Shoot for the stars. You want to go remote and ask for all that? Live your life. And all of a sudden, people are like, wait, I get to set the terms? Hey, newsflash, we always had the power to set the terms. Some like capitalism and a million other things made us believe that we didn't. And I think some part of how we're all raised, you know, depending how, for me, it was a military family. You don't quit the military. My family retired from the military. Oh, and my the rest of my family, they're teachers and farmers. You don't quit the farm either. We still own that farm. You don't quit being a teacher until you retire, right? There was no infrastructure around leaping. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think we're all like, we're all forced into seeing it, you know, like literally overnight, these industries um, were obliterated. And all of a sudden, I think it has forced all of us into this moment of being able to see things in a, like with a completely new perspective and the, oh, okay, well, I didn't want to. And I hear this from people I've experienced myself um, after being fired or, you know, a situation like I being laid off, you know, this was not my choosing. I did not choose to be here for me. Quite frankly, it was a cancer diagnosis, right? And finding yourself in that place where I did not want to be here. Um, it is those moments that that I think of as like you walk through a door and you close the door behind you, right? The door is closed behind you. Um, and so there's no going back. All of a sudden it is a new world. Um, and so, okay, like now, now how do we move forward? And I think the pandemic has done that for so many of us. Um, and, and I think you're right. There is so much more that is in our control than people realize. And it's causing us to now ask ourselves, um, I say this all the time, like going through cancer treatment for me was this, and, and still is now this huge, huge, aggressive reminder every day of like, I want my time to count. I literally don't know how much time I have left. And I say that not as somebody who has a terminal diagnosis, although I know plenty of people who do, but I, I literally don't know how much time is left. So uh, how are you going to spend your time? Like how it hit hit damn well better count. And yeah. so for me, it's doing this work that is heart-centered work. Amen. You know, I I was sitting here furiously scribbling notes because I think there's two things that you touched on that's really, really important. And I hope people can hear this is like, first of all, it's making us realize what do you value? And if you don't know the answer, look at how you spend your time. Time, and this is the second thing, time is the only thing that we cannot buy, trade, or sell. It is literally the most valuable thing we have. And Rebecca, the, the difference, the okay, there's something beautiful about cancer, and I say this as someone who lost a family member to cancer, is that it reminds you that no one has time. That time is not just because I don't have a cancer diagnosis. I still don't know that I have more time than you. Right. Because time is, it's all we have. And right now is all we have. Yep. And the more we try to bet on tomorrow, next week, next month, the more misery we introduce into our life because we pretend that we control everything. And newsflash no matter how much we say we want to control everything, you really don't want to know. Like this, okay, ever since someone said this to me, it has been my number one fear, knowing that I was going to do everything wrong and then just having to do it anyway. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> like, imagine you have this script and they're going to tell you exactly what's going to happen. Every single step, you'll know exactly what you're going to do next. You'll know exactly what's going wrong, what's going right, and where you end up. Congratulations, you have the map but you have to live to it now. You have just introduced yourself to literally like my Hollywood nightmare. <laughs> of having everything laid out for you. Yep. Yeah. And still having to mess it up. 
Mm. To know you messed up and just have to march through it and be like, uh, I decided to know. So now I just have to be the fool. Yeah. Yeah. I'd rather be an unwitting fool. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think, I think you're so right. I think what, what it has done for me. Um, I mean, people have talked about meditation before and I will say I'm not a great meditator. I'm not very good at it. And, and again, I know there's not a good and bad at it. And like, I'm not very, I'm not very Zen in my, you know, appreciation of how it all works, but I just, it's never felt relaxed. Like it has never felt helpful to me. Um, but as I, as I have been spending the last couple of years since, you know, going through all of this, um, I've come to understand there are definitely ways that I can um, seek out healing. And so that, I guess, is its own form of meditation for me. Um, but really and truly, right now, this this moment that we have is all we, is all we have. Um, and it's difficult. It's a difficult line to walk sometimes as a business owner because we do spend a lot of time focused on like, what's the next thing? What are we coming? Yeah, where is the money coming from? Right. And and so that's that's a hard thing to do. Like you can't live completely only in this very moment, right? Because you can't build a business around that. However, um, I would say that this, again, this aggressive reminder that I have, um, fuels me to understand and have a much deeper appreciation for where am I in this moment? Literally right now in this moment, sitting in my closet, recording this podcast, (laughs) right? But talking to you who is traveling around the country in a van while you're building your business um, and having these amazing conversations, like I could not, honestly, I couldn't ask for more. Um, and I couldn't be happier. And I do find myself pausing frequently now, much more frequently to appreciate and say, holy shit, like, let, let me look at my calendar for the day and like, look at all the different ways that I have engaged with just really fucking smart people and people who are fascinating. And I get to either help them tell their story or or listen to their story or, you know, I mean, it's, I I think that, it's how I'm spending my time and where I'm spending my mental energy that does feel very different. The big shift for me before I even stepped into the van was it's a fuck yes or it's a hell no. Yeah. And when you approach every project that way, when you approach every jumping into a van life decision, (laughs) when you change your life if you want to change your life you have to chase a feeling and if something does not make you feel the way you want to feel you will not change shit nothing not one fucking thing will change about your life if all you do is try to say oh yeah i'm i'm just like doing the thing. And, and I, I followed the rules. Like I said, if you had to follow the map, the map is not the answer. Your gut is the answer. The feeling is the answer. Fuck yes. Hell no. Okay. I love this. So let's break this down. Like, cause I am so fascinated by what does this look like practically? I mean, for you as a business owner, right? 
what does this look like? How do you implement that? Um, whether it's potential new clients coming through the door, right? Or work that's coming or building, you know, building your revenue streams, like how on a like really practical level do you implement that? I am doing it right now. So two years ago, my business is four years old. Two years ago is when I learned that I love training. Training is what I absolutely adore. But when I started my business, everyone knew me as a copywriter. So they hired me to write things. And so I said yes to everything. Around that time, I also hired a coach. And my coach is the one who introduced this idea. And so what it was is if a project landed on my desk and I was not hell yes about it, I waited. And what I would do is I would look at the project and look at it against available time and start to basically a practiced no first. So I practiced saying no to little projects that were not a hell yes. Like, Katrina, can you write my landing page for my recruiting agency? We have to have two pipelines, one for recruiters and one for... There's a million of those projects. And, and I started by saving. So the first phase of my business... I said yes to everything and I put, I stockpiled cash because a good friend told me the only thing that could end your business is not having cash. That's the only thing that can pull the plug is if you don't have money. So that's what I did first was I hustled for cash. I said yes to retainers. I said yes to projects I didn't really want and built up that revenue stream. When I hit that point, I realized and learned what I like, which I learned what I like by doing it, not by creating a website about it or creating a brainstorm or whatever else, reading the book that tells you what you love. Like, no, just try shit. I tried and tried. And I said, okay, my first goal is I want to train 30 companies this year. And what I did is I said, no more if there was not training and writing. And I started to sell it that way. So I just started to sell what I already knew would sell, but add what I love. What ended up happening is people picked the thing I love. And when I got to do more of what I love, surprise, surprise, I was more, I had more energy. People recognized me as an expert. Word of mouth started to get around. Oh, Katrina's a really good trainer. Holy crap. I can't believe we kept people engaged for three hours. They're so into this. They loved it. So then people just, just came to me for the training and the beauty of being highly neat, like highly niched niche, however you want to say it, don't correct me on the internet, not highly focused is that you start to have volume simply because you are known for one thing. I cannot emphasize this enough. You can't really live this life without actually having a volume of people who come to you, which I only have because I am an expert in one thing. And slowly over time, I get to say no to more projects. And broadly, I have learned this over and over again. And y'all, if you listen to this long to this podcast and you took nothing else away, which I really hope you already got something, but if you're still listening and we are there, let me tell you this. If your gut screams, oh my God, this project is going to suck. It's going to suck. You should say no, no matter the amount of money, unless it is like F you money. The other thing I would say is that is raise your prices. No matter who you are, the number one way to leverage and make time for what you love is to raise your prices because you make more money for doing less work. And that's where I am now. So I don't know that I actually answered your question. I think I did, but really it's like you need to layer these choices 
and you'll know the tipping points, but always lean into what you love because when you lean into what you love, that's where scale lives. I love that. I love that. It, um, practicing saying no is such an underestimated skill and it's a skill. I think, I mean, I think it is something that for some of us, we have to learn to practice it. Um, and so I love that kind of step-by-step that you're talking about that gets you to that. And I also want to say really quick, because I know people are hearing, you live in a van and you're saying no to projects. You just live a frilly Disney princess life. That must be so fucking magical for you. And let me be very, very clear that I have major money trauma. Okay. So I grew up with a mom who was an accountant in the military, personality included, very harsh, very strict. I lived my entire life thinking that an extra $10 would ruin me. Okay. So this is not some like frilly quit it all. Do you think like this is not coming from that place. I regularly am contacting my team saying, are we busy enough? Are is cash flow good? Are we in a good place? And they're like, you need to relax. Okay. So when I say practice and I like that, that I love that that's what you emphasized there because this is practice emotionally, physically, knowing your limits, knowing when you need to go all in, knowing when you need to back off. So I imagine that you are getting a lot of requests for speaking, as I know you do quite a bit of speaking as well. Um, Can you talk a little bit about um, looking ahead for the coming year, um, you know, for people who are interested in working with you, um, what do you want people to know right now? Yeah, well, of course, if you want to hear me talk about job postings, I can talk about job postings till I am blue in the face. I do a few different angles. One is just that baseline, how to write a job posting. I'm also looking at ways to delete bias. I talked about those his, the historical ways we tell stories. I found historical bias in job postings and I've created methodology that actually gets more a more um, diverse background candidates of candidates to apply to jobs so that you're not seeing the exact same profile every single time. And I have methodology to prove it and data and all those nice things. But the thing that I'm most proud of right now is the work that I'm doing around, I guess, making the world a little safer for people like me. So I am trans, I'm non-binary, and I grew up in a military family, so I know what it feels like when you don't fit in anywhere. And I've been doing work around pronouns and belonging with with just talent teams but also with broader companies and and I joke whenever I do this presentation the first words are this presentation is not about what it feels like to be gay okay I know that what we're, that's what we're used to when we hear the LGBT plus speaker is coming in right tell me your stories of coming out of the closet nope we're not doing that I teach people how to make other people feel safe I teach people how to be better to each other in this world, how to help others when they find themselves in a situation where they see harm being dealt to someone because their identity doesn't align or someone doesn't understand what's happening. And I'm kind of smiling to myself because I realize how transformative that's been for my life in helping me not only just like learn to accept myself, and learn to see myself, but realizing that I've also become a safe place for others, right? Where 
I get to talk about job postings all day, but this paves the way where last week I got to talk to a library in rural Virginia and do my presentation and be able to like teach parents how to be better their kids. I honestly think like finding, finding a way to teach others um, is there's no greater gift. There's, there's no more important work that we can do. Let me tell you the gift. So this is the coolest van story yet. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was in Sarasota and I went to a place called Turtle Beach. And if this person happens to hear this, thank you so much because you made my life. I was in the bathroom and I was wearing a t-shirt that said human and it has all the pride flags on each letter. And I went to the restroom and I came out and I had a very familiar experience. So a little kid sees me in the women's restroom, looks me dead in the eye and says, are you a boy or a girl? And most parents are mortified at this moment. Shit. (laughs) What do I do? I'm super embarrassed by my kid. Like, shut up. Because they're thinking it, but they didn't say it. And that's fine for them. It's okay to think it, but not say it, right? Like that makes you not. Anyway. So... Um, the parent gets down on the level of the kid and they say to the kid, what I teach people to say, they say to them, I don't care, but I really love their t-shirt. Don't you? And the kid reacted the way that all kids do. When you say that, I do like their t-shirt. I love pink. And the kid went on their way. And I say to this person, I say to them, you know, that's, that's what I teach people to do. That was really special. Thank you. And they said, I know you. I'm getting chills just doing it. They said, I know you. A couple of months ago, I did a presentation for um, a very large family of companies. And I didn't know all the people in the line. There were over 5,000 people in the line. And she was in my presentation. And she was practicing in the middle of Florida. Like... And there she was. And and she had this moment of like, I know you. And I'm like, I'm not famous, but this is the best moment of my life. No kidding. (laughs) Oh, I just got full body chills. Me too. What an amazing, amazing full circle moment. Okay. We're going to, we got that. We got to end on that. Katrina, how can people get in touch with you? Where can they find you on the interwebs? Yeah. I am the only Katrina Kibben in the world. So if you spell my name right, you'll find me. Um, my blog is katrinakibben.com. My Instagram is where you can follow my van life uh, and get all of the updates. And of course, on Twitter, I'm Katrina Kibben and I'm using hashtag van life cat if you want to know about that side of my business. But broadly, I try to say humorous and intelligent things regardless, hashtag or not. Well, and I can absolutely attest as someone who's followed Katrina for quite some time, they absolutely do. Um, it is always insightful, um, always makes me think, um, and it, there's always so much heart in what you do. Um, so I thank you for that as someone um, who's been a listener slash follower slash reader, I guess, <laughs> for a long time. Um, Katrina, I can't thank you enough. You have dropped so many knowledge bombs on us today. Um, <laughs> I am so, so grateful for you being there with us. Thank you. I really, really appreciate it. Problem Performers is a production of HR Uprise Media, part of an organization built around a single question. What if you could have HR that works for you rather than your boss? Well, now you can with your own HR Uprise coach. Get affordable, confidential advice from an experienced HR pro who works only for you. 
Learn more at hruprise.com. And hey, employers, we've got you covered too. HR Uprise provides independent investigations, harassment prevention training, private employee coaching, and much more. Email us at hello at hruprise.com or visit our page at hruprise.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.